Welcome back to University of Minnesota Extension's Nutrient Management Podcast. I'm your host, Paul McDivitt, Communications Specialist here at U of M Extension. Today on the podcast, we'll review 2019 research and look ahead to 2020. We have five members of Extension's Nutrient Management team, Dan Kaiser, Brad Carlson, Anna Cates, Vasu Sharma, and Jeff Fetch. Can you each give us a quick introduction? Uh, Brad Carlson, I work out of our regional office in Mankato. Um, a lot of folks know me for doing Nitrogen Smart. Uh, Dan Kaiser, I'm a Nutrient Management Specialist um, located on the St. Paul campus. Jeff Vetch, I'm a researcher and soil scientist uh, at the Southern Research and Outreach Center in Waseca. Anna Cates, a soil health specialist here on the St. Paul campus. Vasu Sharma, I'm the Irrigation Specialist at St. Paul campus. All right, before we get started, I'd like to quickly mention that we have a few upcoming events. Our annual Nutrient Management Conference will be held on Tuesday, February 4th in Mankato, and our annual Nitrogen Conference will take place on Tuesday, February 18th in Alexandria. You can pre-register for both of those events on Extension's website. Just go to z.umn.edu slash nmcon2020 for the Nutrient Management Conference and z.umn.edu slash ncon2020 for the Nitrogen Conference. Also, Extension's Nitrogen Smart program is happening at 14 locations across the state this year. You can see all of the dates and locations at z.umn.edu slash nsmart. Slash Nitrogen Smart. Nitrogen smart, okay. Slash nitrogen smart, all one word. I think they both work, but... Do they? Maybe. Yeah, okay. That's <laughs> good to know, because I've never used nsmart. All right. Okay. <laughs> anyway, starting off, uh, can each of you give us a brief update on your research? Uh, what happened in 2019, and what will you be doing in 2020? Well, you know, 2019, interesting year. Um, I'm actually surprised that we got as much done as we did, um, particularly for fall field work. We were, you know, everybody, with a lot of growers, too, scrapping, and I was kind of amazed driving up to Fargo recently looking at the amount of corn that's still up in the field around there and even the southeast thing I think Jeff mm -hmm. south central there's still some fields that haven't been harvested so um, we had a number of trials going in around the state the biggest one that he started last year was a long-term sulfur trial looking at some dynamics of sulfur uh, utilization looking at some different sources and trying to figure out when uh, some of these products become available. So that was kind of an interesting study. Um, saw some things that I didn't expect, particularly with the elemental sulfur sources. At one of the locations, um, one of my, my co-granulated products did better than the sulfate, which I haven't seen in the past. And doing some work on that, I'm going to be talking about here at some of the meetings, um, focused on looking at kind of what's happening in the soil too of that and we kind of can start tracking what's happening for availability over time so kind of an interesting looking at that um, and some of the other things too the yields were pretty decent across many of the locations um, you know the thing I could have done without this year was either wind damage either it was green snap early in the season I know Jeff you guys experienced some of that and then also we had a high wind event out in the western part of the state around towards, I think, the end of September, early October that blew some of our plots down, and that was probably the big thing. But, um, you know, some interesting results this year, and hopefully we'll have um, you know, a few more podcasts here, here this, this winter just to talk about some of the things that we've been seeing. Yeah, Waseca, we had uh, our typical run of nitrogen trials, including the urea timing that I work on with Fabian Fernandez. And we had some several manure management trials that I was working with Melissa Wilson and her grad students and postdocs. And, and those trials actually were quite interesting and, and actually turned out quite well. Uh, urea timing was no surprise in a wet year where we had 48 inches of annual rainfall and 30, I think it was 32 or 33 inches of growing season precipitation. 
fall urea treatments perform quite poorly compared to spring application. In South Central and Southeastern Minnesota, it was a good year for split application of nitrogen. Our split applied treatments in the majority of the studies, uh, over 50% uh, had a yield advantage. We set up our AFRIC uh, band K and band phosphorus. Uh, we had it in, in soybean last year, um, looking at kind of residual effects in response to soil tests P and K. Um, we put on our treatments for the fall of 2019 for the 2020 cropping season. So we'll look at band P and K applications across a wide range of soil test levels in corn in 2020. Uh, great, this is Anna, and uh, last year was my first year in the state, so I spent quite a bit of time just going around getting to know people, and one study that let me do that is a big conservation innovation grant we've been working on doing on-farm research in four different regions around the state looking at soil health tests in kind of more soil health-minded, conservation-minded systems and conventional systems on the same soil type. So we have some preliminary data we're going to bring out to the farmers in March to show them how things looked so far. Uh, but there were some interesting sampling days for that too. I got, got my boots pretty muddy a couple times. I also was working on a little pilot project tracking the relationships between soil health tests and temperature and moisture levels. And I'm going to continue that in 2020 because it does seem to matter. You know, your uh, microbes respond to temperature and moisture, and so your soil health tests also respond to the temperature and moisture of the soil. It's going to make a difference if you sample on a wet day or a dry day. The other thing I'm excited about, we just found out we got funding to track the um, mineralization of organic matter in newly drained plots up in Crookston. Africa is going to fund that this year, so I'm working with Lindsay Pease to figure out how much mineralization of carbon and nitrogen and other nutrients you can expect right after a drainage event. And I'll be starting to test some cover crop systems in sugar beets in West Central and Northwest Minnesota. That starts this fall with putting in cover crops for the 2021 beet crop. Yeah, uh, very interesting year for irrigation research in Minnesota. Yeah. So uh, in 2019, uh, we started irrigation and nitrogen interaction study at uh, Becker Research Farm uh, in Becker, Minnesota. And actually, we found very good and interesting results because the year was very wet, but still we irrigated around six inches in our 100% irrigation plots. And uh, we found uh, that actually reducing irrigation rates in wet years is more beneficial than applying 100% irrigation. There is no statistically uh, any yield difference between 150% and in terms of nitrate leaching, 50% uh, actually worked better than 100% irrigation treatment. So this study is mostly focused on how irrigation rates and nitrogen rates interact with each other and how they impact water quality and crop yields. Uh, this was the first year we'll be continuing this study uh, for next three years and now we have the funding to do this study in other location as well so we'll be doing this in two locations in uh, minnesota to capture more variability in rain uh, the other study that i started last year was looking at different irrigation scheduling methods and comparing these methods uh, I think the main challenge that uh, farmers face in terms of irrigation management is they don't know what kind of irrigation scheduling is best for their field, for their region. So I compared four irrigation uh, scheduling methods ranging from measuring soil moisture in field to using some kind of crop models. And uh, uh, we found very interesting results, which I'll be presenting in the next conferences that uh, where I'm talking. Uh, other than that, in 2020, uh, I'll be continuing both of these researches as well as uh, I'm more focusing now on uh, uh, looking at different soil moisture sensors and comparing them. 
the recent survey that uh, USDA did in 2018 uh, showed that only 11% of growers in Minnesota use soil moisture sensors for irrigation scheduling. We want to increase that number for irrigation management. I think the main barrier is that people don't know what kind of soil moisture sensor is best for their field, for their soil type. So the focus of this study would be to looking look at different soil moisture sensors in different soil types and uh, uh, and find out what is most uh, easy to use, simple method, and most accurate. So yeah, that's going on. Well, being an extension educator, I don't have a large portfolio of research projects. One thing that I have been working on the last couple of years is an evaluation of variable rate nitrogen technologies. And um, last year was a very interesting year for looking at that because with as wet as it was and as cold delayed as the growing season was, uh, we finally had some conditions that would indicate uh, uh, some challenges as far as uh, how much nitrogen is mineralized during the course of the year as well as how much nitrogen is lost uh, either through denitrification or leaching. Uh, we've got a lot of experience using the variable rate technologies under ideal conditions uh, and uh, we've found decent success in that frequently under ideal conditions the technologies just simply tell us to apply less nitrogen which is what we would expect. It's really the situations where it's telling us to apply more nitrogen than what we might normally apply uh, that we're kind of questioning uh, how accurate these things are. Uh, unfortunately, at this time, we've had some snafus in data analysis. I've got the data, and, and we finally cleared our last hurdle. Uh, I uh, should have results, uh, uh, yield results here by the time we do the nutrient and the nitrogen uh, conferences. Uh, the one thing, though, that is interesting as we've been comparing a couple of different um, prescription uh, methods, uh, particularly crop models, is in the, the uh, heavy textured soils, uh, we saw a divergence of some of the models uh, between, uh, uh, we had one commercial product we used that actually uh, told us to apply significantly less nitrogen uh, and one that told us to supply uh, significantly more nitrogen in the exact same spot. Um, and so I, I, I think you've got a divergence between um, one of them wanting to favor nitrogen loss because of how wet it was and the other one wanting to favor uh, decreased crop growth and potential because of how wet it was in that location. And so then the, the question becomes is which was correct. And so that's, we'll, we'll get some data for that soon, but uh, at this point it's, it's interesting to note. And that's been one of our takeaways with a lot of the variable rate technology the last few years anyway is uh, when when the, you're able to compare different uh, products on the same field, you'll get different recommendations. And so we're not ready to pass benediction on who's correct and who's not. But it's obviously worth noting if you're investing in one of these technologies, you've made a decision which one you think is correct. And it's worth knowing that other products will give you different recommendations. Uh, coming into 2020, I guess uh, probably the most significant thing I'm doing is uh, working with Dan on a project that's going to continue to refine our use of soil nitrate tests, both uh, pre-plant and, and I've been uh, working on various things involving the side dress test. Uh, uh, I'm not sure the extent to which we'll probably find out a lot that we don't already know. You know, Jeff and I worked on a project uh, uh, several years ago on that, but that's also a component. Yeah, and I forgot to mention that because I've got three locations that we'll be putting out this year. Um, 
what we're trying to do is look at the, again the pre-plant nitrate test and the reason I'm looking at that I know it's an oldie but goodie a lot of people don't like that don't like to take that sample but when you start looking at it the reason I'm looking at it because I think it's something that we can use to make the decision sooner than later we have a lot of research going on right now with sensors and um, you know some of these models and a lot of those times those are more reactive or we're looking at later applications and just our time window hasn't been that great in the spring so what my thought is, at least with the pre-plant nitrate test, is it's something we could be making the decision as that crop is being planted, if we have the data there, and then start making the decision to side dress right after we can roll the corn. So that gives us some additional time. So we'll see what happens. Uh, three locations, we're targeting mostly south central to the southeastern part of the state where that traditionally hasn't been used. So that was my thought. We do have some guidelines for it for that. So it's, it will be interesting to see what happens because variable rate N, I know, is a big topic. and. I haven't seen anything consistent for that gives us a consistent answer in terms of what to apply. But the models, I know some of the stuff, Brad, you've been doing, it looks interesting. I think a lot of growers will have to get a grip grip on it, though, when they consider our recommendations to not be high enough. When some of these models recommend less, are they comfortable right. with that? And, you know, and, then, and then there's an overarching question to that that's a philosophical one, and that is, if you needed less nitrogen, and we know just simply from nitrogen rate studies that you very frequently max your yield or your economic optimum, uh, your yield at economic optimum nitrogen rate at a rate that's a lot lower than what the, the recommended, the overall recommended rate is because of the way the model is. So the question is, did the model accurately predict that, or did it just find something that was already in the data set anyway that that uh, that that you could have gotten away with less nitrogen, um, and and you know then the and again without knowing the coding in the models, we don't really know how they're coming up with those numbers. All we can really do is run the models uh, over a number of years and situations and just see how they perform. All right. So, what will each of you be presenting on at the nutrient management conference and the nitrogen conference? I'll be presenting uh, results from the studies that I conducted in 2019 uh, and uh, talking more about how we can better manage irrigation in conjunction with other management practices like nitrogen and nutrients uh, in Minnesota. Uh, other than that, uh, I'll be talking in general about soil moisture sensors and other technologies that we have in irrigation management. Okay. And that'll be at the nitrogen conference, right? Yes, that's a nitrogen conference in Ale Alexandria. Okay. Mm -hmm. Anna? Well, at the Nutrient Management Conference, I'll be talking about the Haney test, which is a popular soil health test uh, with Liz Stahl. She has a great set of on-farm data looking at uh, the Haney test's ability to uh, recommend fertilizer applications accurately. And then I'll also be presenting data just to give growers a sense of if they are using it, what's normal for Minnesota. We have a good batch of data for that. At the nitrogen conference, I'll be talking more generally uh, about cover crops and nitrogen additions. You know, what you're going to expect from your cover crop residue breakdown in terms of carbon to nitrogen ratio, uh, what you might plan for in terms of nitrogen application if you're following a cover crop. At the nutrient management conference in Mankato, uh, this is Jeff, I'll be talking about our drainage study and cover crop uh, interactions. Um, that's a study that started, initiated in the fall of 2016 when we overseeded cover crops in soybeans. Uh, we've had two years of growing corn, one year of growing soybeans, three years of establishing cover crops. Um, the first year, the fall of 16, going into 17, we got a pretty good establishment of our 
cereal rye. Uh, we let it go till the spring in April when we terminated it, planted corn. We had a very nice reduction in nitrate concentration and load that year. It was a good scavenger of nitrogen coming out of that previous soybean crop. In 2018, some of those treatments carried over into the soybean phase. Um, in 2019, we had very poor establishment of both of our annual and uh, cereal rye winter covers. Um, we still had a very, very small, could be significant reduction in nitrate concentration, tile drainage, still have to do all the statistics on that data. I'll be presenting on that at the conference in Mankato. So this is Dan. Um, at the Nutrient Management Conference, um, what I'm going to be talking about are some of these biostimulant products. Um, the main focus, just talking through some of the different classes of products and what they're meant to do. I'll may work in, I have done some testing, um, some older work with um, Accomplish LM, which I may end up talking a little bit about, um, that falls in those categories. And recently I had a couple sites out, um, actually 2019, looking at this um, product called Proven by Pivot Bio. So uh, nothing groundbreaking at this point on those. Again, a lot of those kind of limited in terms of the number of trials, but I'll talk just a little bit more about some of these things and kind of what growers should be looking out for. At the Nitrogen Conference, uh, my main focus is going to be just talking about our guidelines, um, just kind of working out how... We come about for the, the nitrogen guidelines, how we create them, and just what's behind them. It's uh, some similar things I know we'll be talking about at, for Nitrogen Smart, but we'll be expanding more in that with our advanced Nitrogen Smart topic, um, with our deep dive into the four hours. But I'll just kind of be covering some of the basics of the of the, of the guidelines at the uh, Nitrogen Conference this year. And I'm on the panel discussion at both locations, which is going to be kind of. It's, it's, it's a conversation really with the audience regarding experiences from the past year and so obviously the topic being nutrient management. Uh, a lot of what that will focus on is the uh, issues with uh, doing timely field operations, uh, problems with actually getting a product applied and then of course we had experiences relative to how wet the growing season was and delayed and so forth. Um, a lot of uh, situations where we had good response to side dress because of loss uh, of, of other applications and so forth. So uh, that's, that's a big part of the, from, from both, uh, in, at both locations. At the Nitrogen Conference, I'm giving a presentation, and it's a really kind of a vague uh, title. It just says, uh, Update on University Nitrogen Research or something of that sort. Uh, the idea behind that, I think, is uh, primarily that Fabian Fernandez, who is our primary nitrogen uh, uh, specialist, is uh, on sabbatical right now, and so he's done a number of projects looking at, at uh, nitrogen source and timing and so forth. So I'm going to be kind of giving a little overview of some of that information since Fabian's not around. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the variable rate stuff that I've been doing and I think the idea also, Jeff, whether you knew this or not, was uh, to bring some of that drainage stuff also. Uh, so if I throw about three things and, and try and get that done in 40 minutes, I'll be doing really good. So why should growers and crop consultants attend these conferences and our, and our Nitrogen Smart program? Well, I'll start with the Nitrogen Smart one. You know, that really is focused on farmers. Uh, crop consultants, uh, ag professionals are welcome to attend that. Uh, that that program uh, is uh, really though is targeted towards farmers. It's funded by the corn growers. Um, 
the whole issue with nitrogen smart that we and the mantra that we have for nitrogen smart we tell farmers when they come in there is we're not going to tell them what to do we're going to give them enough information they can decide for themselves what to do and so really with as challenging as the last couple of years have been uh, it really kind of emphasizes that point. We present basic information about how nitrogen behaves in the environment and then how you make management decisions based on that, both in terms of what our university recommendations are, the best management practices are, as well as the research behind that and then the conditions where that applies as well as the conditions where it doesn't apply. So try to decide where to flex your management. The advanced nitrogen smart that we're doing in the afternoon is just getting into a lot higher level of detail. So. Uh, I think just beyond knowing uh, uh, I might have lost nitrogen, I need to apply more, or my con conditions are ideal, I could probably apply less, and so forth, uh, or do I need to change a practice because this actually isn't a good practice. Uh, we're really going to try and go into a lot more detail of, of really narrowing down just what it is you do, where and when, what kind of rates you apply, uh, and, and uh, getting to a better idea of actually being able to identify the, the rates and practices on a year-to-year -year basis based on conditions. Now, that's not a perfect science because you can't ever predict you know, how the rest of the growing season will go. But again, if you at least understand the research and uh, the science, then you can start making uh, better decisions like that. So that's, that's really kind of nitrogen smart in a nutshell. Uh, as I mentioned, ag professionals are welcome to come if they want. We don't offer CEUs, so if you want those, you'll have to self-certify. Yeah, and on the other two conferences, um, one of the things that we've seen less and less is in-person offerings from, you know, really, oh, Jeff could probably speak to this a little bit. The, the Southern Research and Outreach Center still does a winter crops day, but not all of the research and outreach centers do. So the opportunities to get or to at least um, have growers and consultants come in have, have kind of dwindled. Uh, we do tend to still maintain the CPM short course and the ag professional updates, which I know are, are very well attended. But um, I think the idea, if you look at the other two conferences, we're just to do a good job with one one-day event. To, so if you really want to come learn on a specific topic, that's really what those two, the nitrogen and the nutrient management conference, are geared towards. And the way those usually split is, you know, kind of follows where the nitrogen conference is mostly it's all nitrogen focused, and the nutrient management conference then is more of broad topics. And the thing I like, I guess, about these. In particular, is we're bringing more people in like Anna and um, Vasu that have different perspectives. They aren't just the hardcore recommendations. This is what you should apply. There's some different alternatives, um, particularly in the soil health top realm, because we get a lot of questions on that from growers, and there's a lot of information floating around um, in all these print publications, and that's I wouldn't want to be a grower right now because all the information they're getting in terms of what they want to do. So it's nice to have and be able to come and hear some of the local experts talk a little bit about that that are maybe more consistent with conditions that they're going to be dealing with. Yeah, and just to elaborate on what Dan said, I think uh, the big advantage that I see too is, is our CPM short course and the research update for ag professionals, which is just concluding today in Crookston. You know, they cover uh, agronomy, weed science, plant pathology, entomology, all those things, and soil science is just a part of it, where these programs are really focused on soil or soil science, uh, soil fertility, and water quality issues to lead, or related to nutrient management. I think that's the main reason. Yeah, and the other thing, bringing some other people in too. I mean, we also bring some agency people in too on some of these, which is really nice because I think it's you, you look at. It, I think there's kind of gets to be a divide sometimes between growers and some of these agencies in terms of some of the regulations coming down. So it's nice to kind of have 
just the open dialogue and have just you know all the topics we have there and bring it together and kind of talk about what the issues are and I think educate more than just growers and educate kind of more the people that are working in the ag sector across the state whether they're you know farmers or in some other sector to kind of what some of the new research says in, in terms of what should be done in, in the areas of the state. You know one of the other areas without getting real uh uh, specific about the uh, extension versus what private industry does. And we do have to acknowledge that uh, on the, the nutrient management side, the fertilizer side, fertilizer is more or less a commodity. We don't see brand differentiation between who manufactured the fertilizer and so forth, and as you do with pest control products. And so a lot of the educational offerings you'll find from a, a dealer, a co-op, and so forth, it tends to focus on the the pest management side because you've got companies supporting that kind of outreach with their products and and uh, they'll do a little bit on nutrient management but but there's probably not as much of that opportunity out there as there is uh, on the 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 IPM side on on herbicides insecticides fungicides and so uh, we kind of uh, fill the void on that too that's right. There's nobody to speak for the soil but us, I guess, as Jeff said. Uh, yeah, I guess I would agree with what everyone else said, that this is just a great opportunity to get face-to-face -face with your researchers at the state level. You know, if you want a question answered, this is your chance to ask us that live and in person. Put us on the spot, make us uncomfortable up there under the floodlights or, or corner us at lunch or what have you. I mean, you could always write us an email or call, but it's, there's nothing like a good face-to-face -face interaction for that kind of thing. Yeah. And it's not only about educating, it's having an open dialogue between researchers and growers and consultants, and they can also give us ideas what research we should be doing mm -hmm. so that we can include that in our programs. And you most likely can find CEUs in soil and water, too. That's right. It doesn't <laughs> hurt. All right. That about does it for the podcast this week. We'd like to thank the Agricultural Fertilizer Research and Education Council, AFRAC, for supporting the podcast. Thanks for listening. <laughs>